Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, um, we just want to express how much we love you. We want to express to you, Lord, that we treasure your word. And Lord, we think of Christians throughout history who um, it was forbidden for them to be able to have your word tangibly in their hands. And so they did other things. They memorized your word so that they could have it hidden within their heart. And I pray that we would treasure your word in that, in that way and that we would not take for granted the freedom we have to not just own one Bible, but several Bibles. That is not guaranteed or promised to us. And so I pray, Lord, that we would hunger for your word, hunger for your ways. That, Lord, by your spirit now, that you would take um, the teaching of your word and you would use it for your glory, and for the edification of your people. I pray, Lord, that each of us would just truly be a people who are known for purity of heart. Help us in this, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to introduce you um, to two characters. One is Beatrice and the other is Bob. I chose those names because I don't know anyone named them. Well, I guess Bob's a pretty common name, but no one in our church is Bob. Um, from all appearances, um, Beatrice and Bob are the kind of people that you want in society. Beatrice, on a weekly basis, uh, serves at an organization that seeks to restore young ladies who have been trafficked. Bob, on a weekly basis, serves at a youth shelter, primarily for young men and women who have come from broken and dangerous home situations. They're both faithful and serving in these capacities. Not only that, Bob is a part of First Baptist Church Toronto, and Beatrice is a part of Christ Anglican Church Toronto. They both go regularly to, the, to their church. They participate in the services through prayer, singing, confession of sin, through uh, the listening of God's word. By all appearances, they, seem, they both seem like good Christian people. Yet the fact of the matter is, only one of them is pure in heart. They both almost exactly do the same activities, but only Beatrice is pure in heart and Bob isn't. And the question is, what makes Beatrice pure in heart and Bob not when both of them live very similar lives? And that's what we want to think about here this evening. Because Jesus says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we see here very clearly that the pure in heart are recipients of God's blessing and favor because they're the ones that will see God. Now there's a lot here, but first we need to begin by defining what pure in heart actually means. And I think the best way to getting to the meaning of pure in heart is breaking this phrase down into parts. So the first thing I think we need to do is, is talk about the heart. What is the heart? So uh, group discussion. When the Bible generally refers to the heart, what is it the Bible is trying to convey? What does the heart mean in regards to the Bible? What's it seeking to convey? Any ideas or thoughts? Motivations. Your internal motivations, okay. Anything else to that? The source of our thoughts and values. Source of our heart, thoughts and values, yeah. To use a computer a terminology, the CPU of the human being. The what, sorry? The CPU of the human being. 
the CPU of the human being. Yeah. Translation. So, computer, computer technology, the CPU of a human being. The center functioning. So yeah. Processor. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So all of those are are connected, right? Um, really, when the Bible uses the the word heart, generally it's it's speaking about the center of a person's being. Uh, it includes the mind, the will, the affections. Um, it's the fount out of which everything else comes, or the CPU. <laughs> um, you could say it, it's like the control panel of a person. It directs who they are, what they desire, what they do, their thoughts, their affections. The heart is meant to convey the fullness of a person. So, for example, in the Old Testament, when, we, when we're told, love the Lord your God with all your heart, really what, what that's saying is love the Lord your God with your whole being, right? With your whole person. Now, the implication of this, which we have seen over and over again in the Beatitudes, is that Jesus is fundamentally concerned about the heart of a person, not their external behavior. This was Jesus's biggest beef with the Pharisees, right? They were primarily concerned about external appearance and behavior and cared very little for the disposition of their hearts. And this was really what you could say Jesus's holy frustration with them. You're so committed to cleaning the outside, but internally, there's a shipload of impurities and defilement within you. You see, from, from God's perspective, God delights in the coal miner who comes home covered in external filth, yet is pure in heart. Whereas God condemns the religious priest who's devoted to all his ceremonial washings and looks crisp and clean on the outside, but internally is impure, defiled, and even evil. God is concerned about the heart of a person, not just the conduct. So, so that's the heart. So, so we need to wrestle then with, well, what does Jesus mean by pure in heart? What, what does he mean by the word pure? So quick group discretion again. Um, how would you try to define purity of heart? So the pure purity of heart, the pure side of the heart in this phrase. How would you define purity? And there's two aspects to it. Any thoughts? When you talk about purity, without talking about what it is, it means it's untainted. There's nothing added right. to it. Yeah, so it's... You can be pure good or pure evil. Right. But there's no... It's one or the other. Right, right. Only that thing. Okay, so it's untainted, right? Um, any anything else to add to that? Just along with what John said, is that I forget where I read it, but to be pure in heart is to have a single mind. Yes. Yeah. A single mind, like single focus, not not cluttered with a million things, but a single intent. Right. Right. Yeah. So you 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 have both just really touched on um, the, the two aspects of purity of heart, right? So on the one aspect, it's this idea of, of undefilement, right? Internal cleansing. Um, you, you think of David in, in Psalm 51, right? Cleanse me and, and, and wash me and I will be whiter than snow, right? Um, it's the idea of moral purity without defilement. Now, the other aspect has to do with single-mindedness. You're, you're undivided as a person internally in regards to your devotion. Um, there, there's an, an utter 
sincerity and focus and devotion to your life. Um, so, so Psalm 24, which, which uh, Bev read for us, right, which, which I, when we, we based our confession off of, David says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? And then he says this, he who has clean, clean hands and a pure heart. And then he really defines what that means. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The person who lifts up their soul to what is false, they're a divided person. On the one hand, they, they worship God. And on the other hand, they're, they're giving their heart over to idolatry, right? They're divided. There's not this single-mindedness, single this single singular focus, this sincerity. Um, John Stott defines uh, pure in heart this way. The pure in heart are utterly sincere. Their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and men. Their very heart, including their thoughts and motives, is pure, unmixed with anything devious, ulterior, or base. Hypocrisy and deceit are abhorrent, abhorrent to them. Why? Because they're devoted, they're utterly sincere in all that they do. So, so on the one hand, it's this internal cleansing, this moral purity, but it's also this single-minded focus that is utterly sincere and devoted to God. And really, these two ideas are inseparable. You can't have single-minded sincerity if you're living a life of defilement before God and vice versa, right? Now, to be pure in heart doesn't mean sinlessness, right? Now, ultimately, one day, yes. But, but to be pure in heart doesn't mean sinlessness in this life. But it does mean utter sincerity in devotion to God. David wasn't a sinless man. But he was a man who was pure in heart. In that, he sincerely sought to worship God with his life, which included sincere obedience, but also sincere repentance and confession. He was pure at heart in the fact that he, when he repented and confessed his sins, he was single-minded and sincere in his repentance and confession. Now, we know Jesus, of course, is the definition of pure in heart, right? He was undefiled by sin in any way, and he was singularly and sincerely devoted to God in all things, right? He came to do his father's will. He was about the business of his father. He sought to please his father above all other things. So that's really what pure in heart is there. So, so back to Beatrice and Bob from the beginning. What makes Beatrice, Beatrice pure in heart and Bob not? Despite the fact that both of them are engaged in the same external activities? Well, because... Beatrice does everything she does with a singular and sincere devotion to God. Not perfectly, but she knows this. And where she falls short, she sincerely, humbly confesses her sin to God, asking that he might cleanse her and wash her. She serves with sincerity and devotion to God at the organization that helps young women who have been trafficked. She goes to church and, and worships, confesses her sin with, with utter sincerity and devotion to God. She's single-minded in her living for the Lord. It's what directs everything she does, even when she goes to work. It's all about single-minded devotion to God. 
She's single-minded and living for the Lord. Now, Bob, on the other hand, he does all the same things, but not with a singular, sincere devotion to God. He works at the youth shelter because it, it builds his good reputation, and he, and he wants to leave a good legacy to his kids. He goes to church and worships, even, even confesses his sins, not, not because he's all that repentful over his sin, but because, well, for him, it's family tradition. His grandparents went to church and did these things. His parents went to church and did these things. And, and so he thinks he should. It's, it's kind of a part of who he is, he is, his cultural upbringing. But what's driving his actions isn't purity of heart. It's not this singular, sincere devotion to God. The fact of the matter is, though he does all these things, he still lives a hedonistic lifestyle and really doesn't see why his life is one of hypocrisy, why his life is a contradiction. So I think a good question for each of us is this. Which person describes you, Beatrice or Bob? So to be pure in heart is to be washed, cleansed of sin, and to, to have this single-minded, sincere devotion to God. It's, it's to not lift up your soul to that which is false, to be divided in your devotion. So now we come to the second part in the Beatitude where Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For they shall see God. It's the pure in heart that see God. Now, there's several things we need to think about here. Like the other blessings in the Beatitudes, we, we've seen that there's a, a present reality with a future fulfillment to it, right? So, so for example, the first Beatitude, right? We've, we've received the kingdom, right? You and I, in Christ, have received the kingdom. Currently, we are a part of Christ's kingdom, but we are waiting for the fullness of the kingdom. There's a future reality to that blessing. And so it's true when it comes to seeing God as well. There's a, there's a present reality, but a future reality as well. The pure in heart are able to presently see God through the eyes of faith. But in the future, the pure in heart will see God face to face, specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12 um, Paul tells us that currently we are seeing through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So, so we do see currently, but it's through a mirror. It's, it's dim. But one day we will behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, in Hebrews 11, we're told that Moses endured, that is, he endured the, the anger of Pharaoh. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. It's a fascinating statement. He is seeing the one who is invisible. He sees that which is impossible to see. How can you see the invisible? The naked eye cannot see the invisible God, but the eyes of faith can. It's interesting that the scriptures use different metaphors or, or images to describe what happens in salvation, right? For example, we have new birth, right? You're, you're born again. Um, another example is death and resurrection, right? You were dead, but God made you alive, right? But one of the other images that we have to describe salvation is, is blindness to sight, right? Um, 
You were, you were spiritually blind people. And by the Holy Spirit, at your conversion, at your salvation, what happened to you was the Holy Spirit took that spiritual blindness and gave you spiritual sight in order for you to see. You see, apart from the Spirit of God, humanity is blind. They're unable to see and behold the glory of God. But when the Holy Spirit opens their eyes, removes the veil, so to speak, they're able to see for the first time the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the eyes of faith. They see him through the work of creation, through the work of salvation, through his providential care and the details of their lives. There was a time where, where before we were saved, we, we were unable to interpret our lives through the lens of God's providential care. But now, because we have the Holy Spirit, we're able to see and understand our lives through God's providential care. We're able to look at creation and not just see randomness, but see the sovereign workings and all power of God at work in creation. We're able to read the scripture and learn about redemption and all that Christ did. And, and what made no sense to us before, we now marvel at. We're able to see, we're able to understand. You see, it's, it's not a coincidence that the scriptures often convey salvation as a cleansing of the heart and often speaks of salvation as blindness to sight. The two go hand in hand. It's only the pure in heart. It's only those who have been cleansed that are able to see. Which shouldn't surprise us when we think of the nature of sin. Sin is deceptive. Sin brings darkness. Sin blinds. Sin often functions like the clouds, right? On a cloudy day, if you think about it, the sun is still present. It's not as though the sun has disappeared. But the clouds have hidden the sun from us. And not only that, the clouds keep us from feeling the warmth of the sun. The sun is still there. The sun hasn't changed, but the clouds have gotten in the way of us being able to see the sun and feel the warmth of the sun. This is how sin works. Sin keeps us from seeing, beholding the sun, that is S-O-N, in his goodness and beauty. Sin keeps us from feeling his warmth, his presence. He hasn't changed. He's always there. But sin works like the clouds. It keeps us from beholding the glory of the sun. It blinds us from seeing the presence of the sun. You see, living an impure, divided life, lacking a singular, sincere devotion to God, will prevent you from beholding God in all of his excellencies and knowing the warmth of his presence. But... What happens to sin when utter sincerity and genuine repentance occurs? Well, the clouds evaporate. The sun breaks through, and once again, we're able to see the sun and feel the warmth of the sun again. It's the pure in heart that will see God. And really, um, this is, in a sense, the supreme desire of a Christian. The beatific vision, which theologians often use that term. This idea of being able to behold God, see God in his glory. There is no greater delight, no greater longing 
for the pure in heart than to look upon the radiance of purity, the splendor of holiness, the majesty of God in the face of Jesus. This is what the Christian, the pure in heart, truly long for. So how does one become pure in heart then? Well, what's very clear is that it, it begins with salvation, right? In Acts 15, where um, Paul is speaking at the Jerusalem Council about how the Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus, in verse 9, he tells them that God has made no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles, and he states these words in order to give his reasoning to it. And he says this, having cleansed their hearts by faith, that is, that is, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile because God has cleansed the Gentiles' hearts by faith. The cleansing of our hearts begins at conversion with faith. It begins with coming to Jesus by faith, turning to him, trusting in him alone, and then living for him by the power of the Holy Spirit. The pure in heart are the ones who have felt their poverty of spirit, who have mourned over their sin, and are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It begins with conversion, and then it's the endless pursuit of having your heart completely conformed to God and his ways. You and I, as Christians, grow in our purity of heart as we continue to walk and live for Jesus. But what about if you're already saved, but your life isn't reflecting purity of heart right now? What should you do? Well, the simple, simple answer is this. You should repent. Confess your sins to the Lord. Mourn your sins. And begin by the Spirit of God living with a sincere and singular devotion toward Him. It's only God alone that can purify our hearts. We must come to Him and pray those precious words by Joseph Hart, "'Tis thine to cleanse the heart, to sanctify the soul, to pour fresh life in every and new create." Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you, and we acknowledge, Lord, that there is still so much inner work that needs to be done in our souls. Lord, often our hearts are divided. There are moments of deep devotion towards you, sincerity, single-mindedness. And there are other moments where our hearts wander, prone to wander, Lord, prone to leave the God we love. So God, we ask that by your Spirit, you would help us to have this single-minded devotion to Christ. Lord, we live in a society that is obsessed with distraction, obsessed with division, obsessed with divided um, devotion, divided allegiances. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not follow the ways of this world, but to be single-minded in our thinking, single-minded in our devotion to Christ, this utter sincerity that hypocrisy would not define us as your people, that in our obedience we would be sincere, and in our repentance we would be sincere. 
Help us in this, Lord, I pray in Christ's name.